This is your Tuesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Theme of today's show, as I started thinking about all the subjects I've got on my rundown, is you never know. That is, um, you know, that's sports in a nutshell, but that's also that's also the, the theme of the next 30 minutes here. You just don't know what's going to happen, even if we think we might do, uh, even if we think we might know some things sometimes, we, we end up not knowing a lot more than we would care to admit. Jim Suhan will be joining me here in a little bit to talk the Masters, talk Tiger possibly playing in the Masters, making his comeback after that you know, gruesome car wreck from um, you know more than a year ago. Jim and I will talk about that. That's starting in two days. Talk a little twins as well, and a little uh, women's basketball final four wrap up from uh, from the big weekend here in Minneapolis. Got to talk um, national title game for the men, of course. Big comeback for Kansas um, coming back in the second half to defeat North Carolina in that title game, seventy two. 69 was the final in that one. Got a listener question that I want to get to, and I want to hit some uh, some other subjects as well. But first, what did I miss? First up on this theme of you never know, you don't know, is uh, over-under number for the Vikings came out recently for their season victory total. I saw a projection on ESPN.com of what they think the Twins will win this year, both of them squarely in the middle. Vikings right at 8.5 wins, according, I believe that was to the Caesars Sportsbook that was released late last week, 8.5 in a 17-game schedule. For those of you who are not mathematically inclined, is exactly half of uh, exactly half of 17. So, a you know, if you're guessing at the overall record based on that over-under number, it would be 8, 8, and 1. Uh, but basically, they're essentially asking you, do you think this is a winning team or a losing team? Are they going to win at least nine games, go nine and eight, you'd bet the over? Uh, are they going to go eight and nine or worse, you would bet the under in this case? Um, twins, we're going to talk about both these teams, but Twins, um, ESPN's projections, 81 and 81 this season. I've seen that pretty similarly in fan graphs. Baseball prospectus is the one that's a lot higher on the Twins, and they got the Twins up at like 86 projected wins right now, competing for a playoff berth. They're higher on the Twins than a lot of the other folks, but the ESPN projections showing 81 and 81. So why is that relevant? Why, why do we care that much about what we think is going to happen to a team at the beginning of the year? Well, it kind of frames the discussion of where is this franchise at? And for the Vikings, um, we seem to think the Vikings are kind of in this holding pattern, right? They've been okay for the last several years. Nothing great, nothing, you know, nothing all that bad during the Kirk Cousins era. Um, you know, a couple games over 500 overall, but again, nothing that gets you really excited about the future. Now, they added some new players this offseason. They, of course, changed the leadership dramatically um, with you know, the hiring of Quase Adolfo Mensa as general manager, the hiring of Kevin O'Connell as head coach tweaking the schemes, tweaking the systems, but that brought them right back to a very familiar place, this 8.5 win over under total, which is exactly what it was going into 2021. And let's face it, it was pretty accurate. They were right around 500 most of the year, ended up 8 and 9, you know, right, hovering right around that 500 mark and, you know, just barely with the under in uh, in 2021. Twins, 
you know, last year, I think the projection was, you know, 15 or 20 games better than what they ended up finishing, right? Because they finished 73 and 89 after winning the division two years in a row. Now they've, of course, totally overhauled their pitching staff, although that's maybe a a kind way to put it, because I still don't think they have a whole lot of depth there, a whole lot of quality depth. But the pitching has completely changed from the start of 2021. They've changed some position players for sure with the signing of Carlos Correa, which was their biggest offseason splash. The trade of Josh Donaldson, the trade of Mitch Garver, a lot of different faces in the starting lineup and in the field. But bigger picture here, bigger picture here is this. We don't know. We don't know how this year is going to go for either of these teams. If you thought you were going to predict the Wolves this season, their over-under number was 34.5. They've won 45 games already um, with three games left. So, you know, the Wild, the projections for the Wild, they, we thought... I think the over-under total for the Wild is 96 points. They're already at like 91 with 14 games left. They're going to they're gonna go over that by, you know, 10 or 15, just like the Wolves are with wins. So we can project, project, project all we want. What we really know at the end of the day is we don't know how this season is going to go. For either one of these teams, the Vikings or the Twins, it's going to come down to health. It's going to come down to, you know, are their five or ten best players going to play at or above their ability level, or is one of them, one or two or three of them going to get hurt? Is one or two or three of them going to regress in some way? Um, are there going to be surprises along the way? Are, are young performers going to exceed expectations? Is you know, are they going to get into, especially with the Vikings case, are they going to get into some of these super close games like they did last year and have the outcome go their way instead of going against them? You know, you think about games where they lost on a last second field goal or missed a last second field goal like you you change a couple of those outcomes in the NFL you go quickly from a six win team to a 10 win team or in the Vikings case you know from an eight win team you know to a 10 or 11 win team so we don't know it's a it's a humbling thing to say it's it's our job in this business to try to guess or predict or analyze what is going to happen but a lot of it just is dependent on how the season plays out it really is. So I'm trying to watch, you know, watch this year in, in a little bit more of that vein. Watch the Twins who start on Thursday, perhaps on Friday, given the weather. Uh, watch them a little bit more in that context. Not thinking we know everything about them, but just kind of watching and seeing what happens. Maybe forming opinions after we've had a little bit more information. Same with the Vikings. Like I said, the Timberwolves, we wouldn't have guessed they would win 45, 46, 47, 48, whatever they're going to wind up with. And it wasn't even some dramatic thing that happened. I don't think Anthony Edwards has had a great year. I think he's had an okay year. He's had some lapses. He's had some downturns. D'Angelo Russell's been better in stretches than I thought he would be, but he's also had his lulls. Carl Anthony Towns has stepped up his game for sure, but we already, we already knew he was their best player. We already knew that he had that in him. I would say the biggest difference that we didn't know about with the Wolves was how deep they were and how good that supporting cast was going to be. Again, that would not have been the prediction at the start of the year. I think the start of the year, all the writing was, it's all going to come down to the big three and how they perform. And I think they've performed maybe on par about how we expected they would. It has been everybody else around them that has played better and allowed them to take that next jump in the standings and get to you know get to this point where they're going to be at least in the play-in round and, and probably advancing beyond that. So as you think about these things, as you're looking at all these projections, predict predictions, especially with the Twins in the next few days, just remember this. We don't know. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24-7 gaming, fun restaurants and bars, and luxurious hotel rooms. And join Club M to bask in the rewards. 
follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Happy to have Jim Suhan back on Daily Delivery, columnist for the Star Tribune. We'll be spending the week in Augusta, Georgia, a tradition like no other, Jim, that you you go and that this event happens, although it's been a little while since we had a normal Masters, um, a non-COVID-affected Masters, and a lot of great storylines um, here. The bigger one, biggest one being, obviously, the potential return of Tiger Woods, uh, you know, and I hope that doesn't overshadow the whole event, but at the same time, if, if he does play, uh, it's going to be a, a pretty big spectacle, right? No doubt about it. The thing, thing about the Masters is the Masters is always a great tournament. It's always interesting. Golf by its nature, majors, especially the first major of the year played at that place. You know, whoever ends up contending ends up being an interesting story. Tiger is the person who brings in the casual sports fan, who brings in even maybe a non-sports fan. And no other golfer does that. I mean, if we're going to talk about who are the favorites, John Rahm, great player, nice guy, uh, not the most compelling figure in golf history. You know, Cameron Smith, wonderful putter with a mullet, great. Not the most compelling figure in, in golf history. Tiger Woods is going to play, in, may play in the Masters, coming off a devastating knee injury. Uh, as someone who has won a major while limping around Torrey Pines, as someone who is the same age as Jack Nicholas when he won his last Masters, nobody thinks he can possibly win it. I'd be shocked if he made the cut, but it's Tiger. So he he creates that little bit of suspense, that little bit of doubt. You just don't know what miracle he's going to pull off next. Obviously, the accident a little over a year ago, and he's talked a little bit about the journey Coming back, I mean, physically, he's still, you know, it's been more than a year and he's still not all the way back, which is no. you know, shows you how devastating that. I mean, you saw the result of the crash, what the car looked like, but just how it's impacted him physically and everything he had dealt with before that. I mean, it's just uh, it's it's even, you know, bizarre to think that he can't even still play given what happened a year ago. And, you know, I go back to I think the last U.S. Open I covered, maybe, I don't know, I can't remember. Uh, I walked with with Tiger Woods almost every hole at Torrey Pines in 2008. And, you know, I'm sure it looked dramatic on TV, but I know, you know, frankly, I had great access. I was inside the ropes. I'm like 20 feet from Tiger. And he would hit his shot. And as soon as the ball was off the club, he would almost collapse. And this is not a guy who wants to show, ever wants to show weakness. That's one of his the biggest parts of his mental game. He wants you to think he's tougher than you are. He did the seal Navy seal workout. You don't need to do Navy seal workouts to be a golfer. He did it because he wanted to intimidate people. This is a guy who was limped around and won the U S open on a knee that had immediately be repaired. So you just don't know what to put past him. And we're in an age where Tom Brady is winning Super Bowls at advanced ages. We just don't, we don't know what's possible with tiger, which is what makes tiger fascinating. And that was that the U.S. Open where we we ended up finding out he had like two stress fractures and a torn yeah. ACL. Yeah, he and he didn't reveal it until after the tournament was over. It's amazing. So that storyline kind of hovers over everything, just the potential return, how he might fare. I mean, even if he shoots 77, 79, it, it's going to be compelling TV. There's going to be a few shots where you get a glimpse of the old tiger or whatever constitutes the old tiger now. Cause it, you know, frankly, it's been a while since like we have this mental image of tiger, this, this dominant golfer, but it's, it, he has not been that guy for 
a decade. Uh, is that fair to say? The last time he won the Masters was a miracle, and he was healthy, and it was a few years ago. So this, you know, this is beyond. This would be beyond comprehension. Um, which is what makes it a, a fascinating story because we're all going to, even if we think he has a 0.0001% chance of winning or even that chance of making the cut or contending, we're still going to watch. What else are you going to be watching for when you are spending the week in Augusta? I do love Rom. I think Rom's a really cool character and a cool guy. And he's, you know, he used to throw fits on the golf courses. He's admitted because it's kind of anxiety and that because he pushed himself so hard. He's, he's really He's the most likable guy who's ever thrown fits on a golf course, I think. I really uh, think highly of him. We don't know if Roy McIlroy will ever get it together again, but he's a great – he's another person I really like and root for. Cameron Smith is a wonderful guy with a great putting stroke. He can contend. Uh, but, you know, the Masters is the tournament where you might see somebody win because they know this course so well or because it's their time. I mean, Adam Scott's only major was at the Masters. Bubba Watson's only two majors at the Masters uh, because he played on those kind of golf courses growing up. There, you know, We've seen some oddball champions at the Masters. We've seen Zach Johnson win by not even trying to you know, make it uh, to the par fives in two. So there, there are upsets there. I think the more the Masters grooms the course – for longer hitters, the more it does eliminate the chance of these. I think the Masters is, has dialed it in, making the course super long, fairly hard, but also making the par fives so they're within reach of the long hitters. I think that makes it less likely that someone like Zach Johnson or maybe even Cameron Smith wins. But once again, you don't really know. Yeah, absolutely. And like I mentioned at the jump, I mean, you had. 2020, they pushed the Masters back to what was it November after the 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 COVID, you know, everything shut down. You know, a few weeks before the Masters would have been held. Last year was it a, a more or less normal time, but we were still in the middle of COVID and everything like that. And it's not like COVID is over, but I imagine you know we we just both were at the Women's Final Four here in Minneapolis. That felt. As far as a big event, that felt about as normal as I've been at something lately. I don't know how you felt about that as well. I mean, maybe your impressions of that and covering a, you know, what should be a close to normal Masters uh, for the first time in a few years. Yeah, I really think this Final Four is the first time where I just kind of walked around in a big event, not thinking about putting on a mask. And maybe I should have. I I sat, you know, I sat next to my friend Ann Killian at the... uh, on courtside for the final game, she was wearing a mask. She's just like, she's looking around saying, I don't trust all these people. And that's probably the right approach still. Uh, but I, I, that masters in the, in the November masters was bizarre. The time of year, no fans on the course, no fans in the town. Augusta becomes overwhelmed. I mean, they charge a thousand dollars a night for like a motel six hotel room during a normal masters week. I was able to stay at a downtown Marriott for a reasonable rate, which just can't happen, you know? Uh, so it'll be really heartening and encouraging to be at a master's where it's things are more normal. Of course, you know, my journalist insider view of all this is, you know, since the last time I covered normal masters, partly because of COVID, partly because of the way modern media access has evolved, you can't just like grab guys coming off the 18th green anymore. Everything's much more formalized. You can't go in the locker room anymore. So we are losing act. I think it'll be interesting to see which sports organizations continue to restrict access because they were able to restrict access during the COVID years. 
I do know we are, from what I read about a week ago, the NFL is bringing back locker room access. Yep. And it sounds like baseball is going to have clubhouse access. So hopefully we're getting some of that back, but you're right. It is. It, sometimes these things become a, um, a, the beginning of the end for, for things like, uh, for things like access, unfortunately, um, women's basketball, that was a, that championship game. I don't know if I've seen a team so relentless on defense and offensive rebounding, just so physical and athletic as South Carolina was in that game. That game proceeded exactly as I thought it would. Uh, I thought that Carolina's defense would be too good, too big, too strong, too, too well coached to let UConn do what it wants to do. I thought that FUD and, uh, and Williams are going to have to have big nights shooting the three for UConn to have a chance, and they they just didn't. And UConn was just too good. Um, I mean, I'm sorry, South Carolina is just too good, and Dawn Staley wasn't going to let a point guard beat her. Uh, Beckers did well to even do what she did in that game. It, it is fascinating. We were talking about it you know, before the game yesterday. UConn has great talent, but you put up against South Carolina, and they look slow. And not as talented, and not as physical, and and you know, it's amazing how often the more physical team wins in basketball. Well, it just seemed like South Carolina knew exactly what UConn wanted to do on offense. There'd be, you know, design plays coming out of timeouts where they try to get someone open in a corner, and like someone was right there immediately. Like they, they could not get, like the number of open looks UConn had. Like Becker's had one late off, kind of like a broken play, but there was no room to shoot, no room to operate for 40 minutes. And anytime UConn got close, it wasn't like South Carolina kind of backed off and got tentative. They just threw a press at him and got even more aggressive. Yep. I, I think, you know, in you, you couldn't go into the game thinking this, but in retrospect, what UConn probably needed was for Paige to be really selfish and come out. She, she didn't really take any shots to like midway through the second quarter. She's like, oh, dang, I you know, somebody's got to score for us. I think if Paige comes down and hits some threes early, maybe that maybe that shocks South Carolina into playing a little bit different defensively. Maybe it opens up some lanes. But again, I, that's that's the purest second guess because you don't you don't start the game telling your your great passing point guard not to look for teammates. But Becker's, you know, if Becker's has an offensive flaw, and Gino said this before, is that she's so unselfish. Sometimes she should actually shoot more. So you go straight from that to the masters and while the masters is beginning same day twins open their season although that could get pushed a little bit weather permitting but they will open you know this week this weekend at the latest um i i've talked to a couple different folks on this podcast already about it i've had my own thoughts about it I, the pitching plan really still is is if iffy at best to me i don't know you know i, I don't think they accomplished what they wanted to accomplish here with, you know, they didn't, weren't able to, to finesse a trade, at least not yet. And it's, you know, we're three days away from two days away from the start of the season. Um, what is your impression of this starting rotation and, you know, Joe Ryan opening day starter and all the other veterans that they're kind of crossing their fingers and hoping on? I wrote a piece about this for our preview section uh, or, you know, something that'll run sometime this week. And just to be a contrarian, I will say this. Do they have enough pitching? Doesn't feel like it. Um, but I also look at a lot of good Twins teams in the past have started the season where we're going, okay, they don't have enough pitching. 87, they didn't have enough pitching. Uh, 2019, they didn't have a bullpen until August, and they won 101 games. So 
it's not ideal. It's not comforting to start the season saying, okay, if, 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 but it's possible it could work out. And I know that's, I know that's not the most, you know, confidence inspiring thing for me to say for a twins fan to hear, but um, they really do believe in Joe Ryan, Joe Ryan. I don't know that he will ever have the stuff that will make him a true league wide ace, but he has great characteristics, uh, high pitching intelligence, high character, mentally tough, uh, the rare ability to adjust during an at bat to what a hitter's doing. You know, he's the right kind of person to build around. Sonny Gray should be good, um, you know, okay to good. I think Ober actually can pitch in the big leagues. Uh, Bundy and Archer are rolls of the dice. I will say this. I'm, they do have some prospects coming. Winder yes. could be ready. Uh, it, you know, Duran could be uh, helping either the bullpen or the starting rotation. I just think the twins looked at it and said, do we want to give away our best prospects for somebody we really think is like a third or fourth starter? That's how you end up with a bad organization. My, I think if they had a true lockdown closer, I would feel a lot better about the pitching staff. The fact that they're going to go in and try to like muddle around and see how things work and pitch different people in different roles. That almost concerns me more than the starting rotation. They could win some games seven, five, eight, six this year though. Cause the, the lineup is, you know, it's interesting. I think, you know, they've got a lot of pieces where you say if just because of health, but you know, if, if Sanchez has a little bit of a bounce back and Correa plays 130 or 140 games and so does you know, and Buxton approaches that number, like again, if, 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 uh, a lot of things to like about the the defense and the starting nine. You know, you never know. The Twins are always a mystery. We never really know how they're going to do. Um, they were, you know, they, they won in 87 and 91 in years where nobody would have picked them. Uh, nobody would have picked them to win 101 games two years ago. And they've also had a lot of years where we thought they were going to be good, and they fell absolutely on their faces. So I don't know how to predict this. I will say this as a someone who likes baseball but wants to see a certain kind of baseball. Buxton, Correa, Polanco up the middle gives you a chance to be entertained on a daily basis. If they stay healthy, if those three guys stay healthy, they could be phenomenal offensive players. They could all bat in the top four of the lineup and they could all be gold glove caliber players at their position. They could make spectacular plays on a daily basis and help the pitching staff that way. That's kind of my hope for the season. The, the, the fielding in the lineup is good enough to help the Twins be competitive regardless of the pitching. I think that's a good way to frame it. And Jim, we will read all of your coverage from Augusta. Enjoy your time down there. And uh, thanks for joining us here today. Thanks, Michael. Good stuff from Jim Zuhan and continuing the theme of we don't know. I mean, Jim talked about that in the context of the Twins, for sure, that we just don't know what's going to happen with the pitching this year. We don't know. Tiger Woods is the ultimate we don't know guy. He started off his career, looked like he was going to shatter all of golf's records, then his career in the last decade has taken such a turn in the opposite direction with personal life problems, with injuries, sometimes the combination thereof, that he now is in this place where we don't know anything about what to expect when the Masters starts on Thursday. Now, he did play a practice round on Monday. Sounds like, according to his friend and golfer Fred Couples, that it went quite well. Sounding more optimistic, like Tiger is going to tee it up on Thursday. And again, what will he do when that happens? No idea. And we can guess that based on how much time he's taken off, that that's not going to go well based on the injuries that he suffered. They will not go well. But this is Tiger Woods. 
This is an elite athlete. This is a game where, you know, anything can happen over the course of four days, over the course of 72 holes. So that's why we watch, right? That's what we'll be watching for because we don't know what's going to happen and anything with Tiger Woods could happen. Continuing with that theme, NCAA Men's Basketball Championship game was Monday night. North Carolina dominating in the first half, up 40-25 to 25 at the break. ESPN's win probability at that moment gave them a better than 90% chance of finishing off the victory and gaining a national championship as a number 8 seed. Again, um, would not have expected them to even be in this position coming into the tournament as a number 8 seed, although probably a better number 8 than a lot of teams based on them finishing you know the regular season 15 and 5 in the ACC finishing you know high in the standings things like that but you know what we you know what we thought we knew at that point was that you know that North Carolina was you know was probably going to win this game now Kansas comes storming back you know cuts into this lead gets you know gets up pretty quick in the second half then it's back and forth down the stretch Kansas ends up winning holds them off in the end 72 to 69 is your final in that game Kansas you know not not a wire to wire champ because they were you know I think Gonzaga and Arizona were the two kind of favorites going into this tournament were the two best teams during the season but Kansas certainly a worthy champion uh, but just looking at some of the stats, I mean, North Carolina dominated in a lot of these key statistical areas. You know, they out-rebounded Kansas 55-35, to 35, including 24-8 to 8 on the offensive glass. Um, they just, neither team could shoot straight. North Carolina only 5 of 23 from three-point range. Kansas just 6 of 17. It was not a, uh, not a work of art in terms of shooting or you know, a lot of these aesthetically pleasing portions of basketball that you might like. But it was it had its share of drama, and it had its share of, uh, you know, unpredictability, especially when you consider North Carolina up 15 at the break, and then Kansas ends up coming back to win. Tough one for North Carolina in the, in the very end, but, uh, you know, quite a, uh, quite a finish to the season. And, uh, you know, again, just... Whatever you think you know about college basketball, whatever you think you know about sports, maybe we think we know, maybe we think we know more than we really do. Speaking of which, let's finish with the cooler. Got an email from a listener, Irving. Um, had a lot of things to say in the email, talking about baseball. It's only pitchers and closers, no real starters and relievers anymore. The lines blurring. Um, talked about uh, he talked about uh, doesn't like that the DH is in both leagues now. But he, the end of his email. Uh, kind of caught my eye. He said, could you please help me with Kellen Mond? That's the Vikings' backup quarterback, or third string, I guess, would be the the better way to put it, since Sean Mannion was the backup last year and is in the fold again this year as insurance for Kirk Cousins. Is he a complete unknown quantity? None of the strip writers or columnists even mention him. Thanks. You know, it's a good it's a good point because Kellen Mond, you know, drafted in the third round in 2021, you know, so less than a year ago. We got all excited about Kellen Mond and the prospect of, okay, well, they, they drafted a quarterback in the third round. Maybe this is the sign that they are eventually going to move on from Kirk Cousins. Is this the heir apparent? And then, you know, offseason went on, preseason went on. Mond struggled, um, you know, struggled in practice, struggled, you know, in, in some of the limited action he had in the preseason. He got in a little bit, did not look like that was, uh, not, did not look like that was going to be a long-term solution. But now you've got a new regime in place. You've got a new Head coach Kevin O'Connell, who you know has worked with quarterbacks, has worked with the offense extensively throughout his career, 
does that fresh set of eyes benefit Kellen Mond? We're, we're, he, Irving is right. We're barely talking about Kellen Mond these days. Where does he fit into this team's overall plans? I know as a, as a third-round pick, a lot of most third-round picks as quarterbacks don't pan out. There are rare exceptions. I think Russell Wilson is a good example of that. Um, you know, some of these lower-round picks. Kirk Cousins was the fourth-round pick. I think Dak Prescott was a fourth-round pick. But usually, your quarterbacks in this league. Um, you know, those guys aside, Tom Brady aside, who is a sixth round pick, usually they are first round picks who, you know, have that pedigree coming in and end up, you know, becoming the dominant quarterbacks. But what about Kellen Mond? Well, this is a pretty big year for him, obviously, with the new regime in place, with the possibility that they would draft a another quarterback in the first round or higher up as time goes on. Probably not this year with all the needs they have and with them committing to Cousins for the next two seasons probably here with, with the extension in the offseason. But what is what is Kalamon's future? We have no idea. Maybe he makes a giant leap in year two and suddenly he's at least the backup quarterback and back in this conversation of perhaps being an heir apparent. It, or is he just not going to get it done at this next level? We don't know. But it is an interesting point that we have not talked about Kalamon at all in the last you know few months. And he could still factor into their plans going forward. So thanks, Irving, for bringing Kellen Mond, at least not front brain, but maybe back to the middle of my brain. That will do it for today. Randy Johnson, who covers Go for Hockey for the Star Tribune, will be on Wednesday's show talking about Frozen 4. Huge semifinal showdown between the Gophers and Minnesota State Mankato on Thursday. Randy and I will get into that. Plenty of other stuff to talk about as well. Thanks for joining me here on Daily Delivery. Be back at it again on Wednesday.